This podcast is created for farmers and powered by Pioneer Agronomy to bring you agronomic insights and proven solutions to fuel forward-thinking farming. In this episode of the Indiana Pioneer Agronomy podcast, we discuss pH issues in cornfields, the impact of the wildfires on crops in Indiana, wind damage and storm damage from the last week's storm, and a brief wheat harvest update. Hello and welcome to the Indiana Pioneer Agronomy Podcast. I'm Brian Schrader, agronomist on the eastern side of Indiana, joined as always by my co-host Ben Jacob from Southern Indiana. Good morning, Ben. Good morning, Brian. Well, I've kind of laid it out for us this morning, a lot of things maybe to discuss. Uh, I guess let's start first with an update from you. I know a lot of storms rolled through the state of Indiana uh, over the last, call it, uh, I don't know, five, six days maybe. Uh, I know more severe probably for you down south than it was for those of us in northern Indiana, at least on the eastern side. Uh, Give us an update on what you experienced at your own place and then also what the crop situation is yeah brian i think you're right on on where the rain to, rainfall totals hit um as i was looking at the maps this morning it looks like you guys up in kind of northeastern indiana missed out a little bit but but maybe you did get some um <clears throat> there would be small pockets in southern indiana who had from say thursday morning through last night uh, had close to 10 inches of rain some of that rather violent now at my house we we were a little bit over four through a number a number of different storms um thursday morning we had a, a bit of hail if you go a little bit south of me they had some real heavy hail um but didn't, it didn't last long it was big big fairly heavy but it didn't last long so i think the overall impact of that hail was probably minimal i don't support that area officially so i don't i've, I've not been in those fields I guess it would be the worst, but in my area, it was pretty minimal. Um, the worst of it came on Thursday afternoon uh, where we had a derecho come through. And mm-hmm. you could watch it, that classic bow shape on the radar, um, just screaming across Illinois. I mean, it was one of the I, – I, I am not quite the weather enthusiast that you are, Brian, but I do try to pay attention to it. And it was one of the fastest-moving storms I've seen on radar um my life and you could like you could just watch this this bow shape just howling across illinois um pretty well coming right for the area that i cover so you know as it was doing that i was i was anticipating in my head um what it was going to do to the crop now what it did to the infrastructure was much worse than what it did to the crop um there were tens of thousands if not hundreds of thousands of people without power um we were without power at my house for four days before they got it on. Um, and I, I think there's still some areas like Terre Haute that are without power. So surprisingly, with that being said, I mean, the number of power lines that were snapped off and trees that were broken off 30 feet up in the air and come down on 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 some of the infrastructure, <clears throat> the the crop impact overall was minimal. Um, I've not been to every corner of my area yeah but i i did take a drive this weekend um, and covered covered good bit of it and there's there's not nearly the impact i thought there would be and i would say that throughout throughout the most of that area there's no impact whatsoever now 
you know, maybe over over around Marshall. Um, I do kind of I do kind of linger over into Illinois, spread over into Illinois. There are some spots where it's going to be it's going to be pretty pretty tough. I mean, whole fields that are flat, but they're the important thing to remember is those fields are going to those fields are going to neck back up. Um, they were far enough away from pollination that yield impact is going to be pretty minimal. They may be a pain in the butt to harvest, but o- overall yield should not be impacted impacted that much with them. Um, you know, and the other thing the other thing that kind of struck me as I was over there is that there is a huge difference you know, from field to field, it wasn't like the whole area was just blanketed. And, and I think what you're seeing more than anything is, a you know, maybe a two week planting date difference had a, had a huge impact on how well the crop was able to weather this. So, uh, but overall, despite, despite, like I said, the damage to infrastructure, the crop, the crop looks surprisingly good. And I mean, I'm sure it's I'm sure it's the same in areas that got any amount of rain whatsoever. But I I visually just getting out and about this morning, um, it looks like beans have doubled in size since last Friday. I mean, with all this, yeah. it just they have just they have just absolutely taken off. So which which we were due, you know, I don't I, I it might be worth mentioning that at least that down here the the inner nodes are really short on the mm-hmm. this early green bow early bean growth and so you know it's it looked bad on the radar it felt i mean I, for for the folks that struggled without electricity that, that weren't equipped to handle that I, i'm sure it was a, a tough several days and you know may still be a tough time but um you know overall the impact of the crop crop was was pretty minor and you know uh my kids my kids enjoyed pretending to camp out for four days so we're we're all good okay. down here i guess all right so. well you know i think with crop damage we've talked about it with with hail you mentioned it i think any time that you have to evaluate a crop after some kind of weather damage probably the biggest thing is to be patient you've got to see how the crop is going to recover like you said, it's going to be a little bit of a challenge likely to harvest, but really you're not going to be able to make a really good assessment necessarily on that crop, at least for, I would say, a minimum of three days is probably the minimum that I would wait, whether it's the wind damage that you're talking about, the hail damage that we know folks have experienced, regardless of how severe, you do have to give it a little bit of time. Uh, do you think, Ben, that our planting conditions being as good as they were, do you think that's contributing to the lack of problems with the crop response from these damaging winds or from mostly from the wind? Do you feel like because we had a decent root system established in most cases that that's probably going to help the recovery process? Yeah, so I, I don't, yes, if you do have a, a good root system is always better, right? Um, what I'm struggling with here is how many, how many acres that I support truly have a good root system. Um, okay. A lot of that, you know, we did, we did have really good conditions early as far as, as far as, far as soil conditions are really good early, but it was also, yes. it was also quite cold. Um, and by the time, by the time it warmed up, we, we fought moisture again. So it, it, it's a it's a healthy mix like it is every year of what the, sure. what the root system actually looks like and do i expect those fields that are um that we 
were planted in drier conditions and, you know, are tiled well. And you think about this dry stretch we've had, if you, the fields that, the fields that weren't showing drought stress as bad, you'd have to assume that they were rooted really well. Um, so yeah, I would, I would expect those, those to be quite a bit more resilient and, and recover quicker. And in some cases that they, you know, they, they didn't go down. Now, the corn, in my, in my opinion, with, with root lodging specifically with it, which is what we're seeing, there's, maybe it's somewhat hybrid specific, but in that V10 to V12 window, you have an imbalance of canopy compared to, to root mass and, and, and your upper brace roots aren't, aren't giving you the support that you need in the plant yet. So that's, that's a, a timing thing. And I know we, we had some products that just have, you know, huge top growth and maybe their brace roots are delayed just a bit. Something like that's going to be more sensitive, but you know, the, <clears throat> probably more important than anything is how much rain we had ahead of ahead of that derecho wind and what your tillage practices were i would say are more i mean those are obviously going to impact impact um, root development but there are some places i i know for sure where those were shall we say aggressively tilled and and i think um our colleague Dr. Miller would refer to them as as ground pounders, but aggressively tilled and then had you know two and a half inches of rain uh, Thursday morning, and follow that up with eighty mile an hour straight line winds yep. Thursday afternoon. It, it, it's going to be problematic, right? Right. Especially if you've done something to create a hard pan down there and you've got eight inches of soup uh, at that point with all the rain that we've had. So. Um, yep. But yeah, there definitely is something to tie into to rooting depth on it. I I think that as I've been out digging roots um, in places where the ground was actually soft enough to dig, I think that it was kind of counterintuitive to me. The rooting depth in well-tiled fields was better than it was in, in poor-tiled fields. And so if I think back to the spring... Okay, well, in just year after year, those fields probably have fewer physical impediments to root growth. Um, and then there was the water table was likely never high enough to inhibit root growth. And so, you know, even though we were running short on moisture, they, they were rooted down better given the wet, the wet that we had early. So in May, um, so it's, it's, um, there's a lot. There's a lot to see here this week, though, and before I can really firm any, sure, you know, any firm conclusions. But I mean, the the root rooting depth is is an it's an interesting thing to look at, and it's sometimes surprising what you find if you get right. around enough. Sure. Yeah. That, and I, I think it's interesting you your comment about it being counterintuitive. I I think I would probably agree with that based on the corn that I've dug as well. Um, so that that's an interesting idea. I hadn't really thought about it until you mentioned it. So um, I think the big thing with storm damage, as we've talked about before, and I mentioned, be patient. Uh, make sure you're trying to evaluate what is going on. Uh, the likelihood that there's a lot of corn dead from being blown over is low. 
I think, but it, you know, you're going to have some harvest challenges like Ben's talked about here a little bit. And so just be patient with those evaluations, try to figure out what's going on. I, I do agree and echo Ben's comments that the fact that we weren't any closer to pollination than we were is a very good thing. Getting blown over at pollination, that's a significant impact to yield. And so that's a, if there is a good thing out of this, I think the timing of it would be the good thing. And to your point, Ben, it was really interesting to watch that bow develop as I watched it on radar as it come across. I mean, when it really was still uh, kind of in the, call it the plains and then into Iowa, that bow really wasn't nearly as significant as it was as it got into Missouri and into Illinois. And then you could really see that that bow show up. And so that was, as a weather enthusiast, that was certainly interesting to watch. So, so anything else, Ben, that you can think of that would be worth uh, mention for our listeners about the storm damage or the uh, the wind damage? Nope, I'd, I'd reiterate though the the patience aspect of it, especially if you were in one of those pockets that that had hail. Um, give that time to regrow the corn. The corn, you know, if you had corn go down on Thursday, it's already it's already standing back up. That's right. Um, by this point, but but be be patient with those beans, especially if they were V eight V ten beans that got beat up a little bit by hail. Let let them let them show what they're going to do for regrowth before you before you get out there aggressively and try to do something with them because most of the time they're they're going to be okay yep all right well let's kind of change i guess maybe to another another almost uh weather phenomenon if you will a little bit a lot of questions i'm sure coming into you they are coming into me about the impact of the canadian wildfires on crop growth uh, several days this last week that uh, the haze was thick. You could smell the smoke. Uh, a colleague of ours talked about actually being able to taste the smoke one morning when he uh, left the house to head out to to do agronomy work. Uh, I guess give me your thoughts on this. I've got we've got some really nice pioneer information that we'll make available to our listeners in the show notes. Uh, but uh, you know, talk to us a little bit about your thoughts on uh, wildfires, and obviously, this is a conversation about the reduction in uh, UV light that uh, our and solar radiation that our our plants are getting right now. Yeah, so there's obviously an impact, right? I mean, you can walk outside and see that today. Today, the skies are clear blue. That's that's one of the benefits, I guess, of the all the storms that we just talked about as it did seem to push that smoke away from us, at least for the time being. Um, you know, there, depending on what piece of literature you're reading, there's, you know, let's, let's just call it a 10% or less reduction in solar radiation from, from that wildfire smoke. Um, some days it felt quite a bit higher than that. Um, but, the uh, the other thing with it too is when we had that reduction in solar radiation, we were in the middle of a drought down here, and it was a relatively cool drought. So I've heard some speculation that well, if we didn't have the smoke, we would have cooked off a lot more, right? And so maybe there was actually a net benefit from having that, that smoke. Now I don't I don't know how much val- validity there is to that, but it's certainly if you if your solar radiation is less intense your you, you know your evapotranspiration is less intense too so maybe there is a balance there that that I'm missing overall that but 
when I look at the amount of sunlight that's lost, and, and I think back to that study that Michael Wagler down at Rosedale did a shade cloth demo yes. a couple of years ago. Um, you know, that, that solar radiation component is huge, but a few percent here and there, an, an overcast day, a rainstorm is maybe 50% reduction in solar right. radiation. So, I mean, if you think about that impact, compared to a few percent, maybe a maximum of 10. It's never a good thing to have less sunlight when right. you're growing a crop. Um, but at the stages that we've we've been through so far, I don't feel that it's going to have a huge impact. That being said, uh, especially with beans, as we get into as we get into pod fill, um, that can with have beans a very noticeable impact a very slight reduction in solar radiation can have a very noticeable impact and you know even with corn as we as we we saw in several places last year we had the drought in june we had the stature of our corn came down a little bit and then that then we got rain um and it was overcast every day and that the corn that came out of that drought straight into that overcast and tried to pollinate during it had had a tough time so you know that there is an impact of it. I don't think that we've had enough of a reduction now to see anything substantial, but, uh, you know, I, I don't think I've mentioned it yet in this growing season, Brian. So I'm going to take my opportunity to, <laughs> to bring up, um, you know, compounding stresses, I mean, stress. you know, if you just stack, you just keep stacking that up, it, it's going to have an impact. So that, that's what I'm trying to wrap my head around is, is do I think, a couple percent reduction in solar radiation um, in June has a huge impact. No, but when you bring when you bring some of the other stresses in that we've experienced in this year, it it could, it certainly could. So I don't know. I mean, you you're you're in a little bit different weather pattern up there than what we've been down here. And I mean, what does what is your take on it? Well, you hit on many of the same things that I have been talking about that I that I have shared with growers and I have thought myself, it definitely felt much worse than it was. The studies that we have at Pioneer and that you can find out there uh, on the internet, whether it's in journals or otherwise, you're going to see a very distinct difference between cloudy, stormy days and the reduction in those and the wildfires. The wildfires are serving to diffuse the light, not block it similar to what storm clouds would do and so you're absolutely right you know it, i think on the high range the study that pioneer published uh in our well i guess it wasn't our study but we found a study and have shared it in a couple of our periodicals that we've produced you're talking about someplace between i think three and five percent reduction in that study that they found for wildfires this was done in california um so it's not as bad as if we had a prolonged period of cloudy days and those kind of things it certainly had an impact but i also think that your point about you know the weather pattern changing is going to have a significant impact on clearing the smoke out i mean if you were to go out yesterday as an example it it really wasn't at least once the storms left it wasn't smoky it was actually a pretty nice day i mean a typical kind of early july day humid that kind of thing but i think that distinction between the UV radio or the radiation, the solar radiation that we get or don't get from storm clouds versus what we don't get through the smoke 
you've got to make that distinction. I we're just so early in the growing season for both crops that I just can't see that at the moment we've had enough of that haze from the wildfires to have a significant impact on yield at this point. Yeah, and it may be it may be good, Brian, to bring up you know what with with all the stress that we've had throughout the season, kind of what what the impact what the impact might be on yield or, or yield components. And, and with beans, I don't think we're impacted at all. I think that they're going to be shorter. They, they, like I mentioned, the inner nodes, the inner nodes certainly are shorter. Um, you know, with corn, we could have impacted the kernel rows um, and we could have impacted cob length. The number of kernels, depending on how right. close you are to flowering, you, that, that may have been impacted already. Um, there's still a lot of yield potential in that corn. A oh, lot yeah. of growing season left. So, you know, in in this area, I'm looking at really starting this week. We're gonna have we're gonna have some spots tasseling um, or, or flowering. Tassels tassels came out over the weekend. They should be shedding here anytime. So, how how successful is pollination? And then what is what is the weather like during grain fill? Because I mean, after pollination, the the more sunlight the more sunlight that you get and the the better that crop's going to be. So if we and if the other thing too is heat, it looks like the next two weeks are going to be relatively cool for July. Yes. So, um, you know, there's there's a really good chance that even if we have reduced reduced potential on kernel numbers for things flowering over the next two weeks, we're going to have a really high flowering success rate um, to kind of, to kind of make up for that. So, you know, in that context, yes, we've been through a lot of stress. The sun's been blotted out a few days from and you could smell and taste the smoke, but the impact on the crop at this point is probably minimal. fairly insignificant. Yeah, yeah. minimal. Minimal at best. Yeah, and there's still the opportunity to to overcome that, I would say, with with the growing season we have left, for sure. Right, and, yes. Well, and I think the other piece, too, going back to the weather, if we get into a more active weather pattern, uh, you know, more wind, more rain, you're going to keep that moving. It's not going to be stagnant and necessarily setting over us. Certainly you have the potential to blow it in, but you know, if they have an active weather pattern in Canada, they may be able to help control it a little bit better as well. You know, they'll get some help from, um, from the environment in terms of trying to help control the fires as well. So that would reduce the smoke potentially. So all, all in all, I think, the the what we're trying to share with our listeners is that the impact is probably minimal at best Mm -hmm. at this point and it's just something we need to keep an eye on but certainly have a long way to go so uh i wanted to mention just briefly ben i got into a situation this week kind of turning the page here uh that was an interesting service call i was called out to uh, that i wanted to mention uh, got called to a gentleman's field who had finished side dressing and found uh, several spots across the field of corn. Uh, the stand was good, but the corn was significantly smaller in these small patches, probably uh, about the size where you and I could turn our Pioneer white pickup trucks around in, but they were scattered throughout the field. Uh, was called out, took a look at the field, um, did a little bit of digging. Uh, evaluate some things. But again, I want to stress that the stands were perfect. I mean, there wasn't a a plant missing at all. Uh, As started to evaluate, started to notice some um, nutrient deficiencies, specifically some of the micronutrients 
Uh, I, I have not had it diagnosed yet by one of the pathology labs, but to look at it, I would say I was seeing sulfur zinc deficiencies, probably both. Uh, as I got to examining it, got to looking at it a little bit more, uh, made some inquiries about things. What we've settled on is that we've got uh, issues with pH in these spots. And so uh, I've not got back to get a soil sample yet, uh, but I did want to mention it and uh, talk about it briefly. You know, I think for me, the telltale signs of this diagnosis is these spots, the size of them, they're not very big. They could easily have been missed when you're grid sampling or if you're not grid sampling, uh, if you're just doing large traditional type of sampling, you might have not known that these spots were here. Uh, you wouldn't have taken a separate sample. If you'd have gotten uh, a sample out of there, you'd have probably discounted it thinking it was an error. You had gotten some oddity in the soil sample and just kind of decided not to pay attention to that because the spots really are not very big, but there are many of them. And so um, as we look at this and then you see the deficiency symptoms as well, especially for those micros that are so sensitive to pH ranges, uh, that's what we've settled on. I'll confirm the pH diagnosis uh, this week with a soil sample, uh, take it to the lab and get that back and confirm it but uh, everything points to that. And so just something to think about. And I think the thing that it brings to mind is one, some of the areas that give us trouble uh, are smaller than what we would often expect. I mean, uh, you wouldn't necessarily catch a spot the size of a pickup truck uh, unless you were really paying attention to it. And so just be cognizant of the fact that sometimes some of the things that affect you aren't huge areas of the field uh, they can be you know quite small and so it's important to evaluate everything that you see sometimes you'll find a great answer sometimes it's environmental you know that's impacting those small areas but in this case i feel very confident and we might be able to you know uh, do some sample work and drop some points and can do some spot treatment if need be to correct the ph issues um, i expect it to be a low ph not a high ph uh, just because of where the farm's located and the way the, the gentleman farms. Uh, but that's my expectation once we get the samples back. Yeah, Brian, I think that your comments about the, the small areas are are really pertinent. And, man, if I think back to the past, at least over the past several winters, falls, winter, springs, as I've seen lime trucks running on days when they definitely should not be because of the wind. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, so you may not, you may not always be getting that uniform spread that you think you're getting just because of the the weather. Yeah. And, and I get it. If they're, they've got a number of acres, they've got to cover, um, you know, some days are going to be marginal, but maybe before we move on, Brian, could you describe in a little more detail what, what symptoms you're actually seeing? What it was sure. actually look like and, yep. you know, any impact on the roots or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. So the, probably the, the two things that I would say that I see that are on the plant that are going to be impacting is the reduced stature. Number one. Now, physiologically they're very similar in growth stage uh call it roughly v7 or so um so you know maybe a little bit large for side dressing but he didn't have any problem we've got a little bit shorter corn this year but you know v6 to v7 you know would get everything physically however the spots in these 
let's call them low pH areas, they're half the size, perhaps even a third the size of the corn. So you're talking about corn that's probably eight inches tall and the other corn's probably, you know, at least two foot tall, I would say, um, you know, well above your knee uh, as you walk it. So that's the first telltale sign. I mean, these spots would stand out to you. The next thing would be color. You're going to see a significant color difference in the short corn. Not only do you see um, the deficiency symptoms, so the intervenal stripes and some of those kind of things that you can see. And honestly, if you were out there and you dug around long enough, you could find some other um, deficiency symptoms as well, Ben. You could see the purpling from um, phosphorus deficiency. You could see uh, even some potash deficiency on on potassium uh, on the sides of edges of the leaf and then just a really lousy yellow color just because they weren't able to get the nutrients now i will say too this has been an area that has gotten some pretty decent rain uh recently uh even going back you know two three weeks they've not been quite as drought stressed as the rest of my territory so it these symptoms probably would have been significantly more aggressive or you know aggravated if it had been in the drier kind of areas like what you have described this morning uh, and then lastly when i dig roots it almost mimicked if you were looking at it you would actually see where the tips of the roots had stopped they had gotten i think to this ph zone and they had essentially stopped growing it almost looked like when I initially started to dig almost looked like a fertilizer burn in part on a lot of the tips of the roots and I attribute that to the fact that they got to this region of uh, lower pH or a significantly lower pH and they just simply couldn't go any further and they stopped um, and so it the root zone was certainly or the roots were in the zone were compromised certainly and certainly not as good you know big and robust uh, as they were in the the size the larger size plants even though physiologically they were this essentially the same age plants so uh, it, it wouldn't have taken anyone uh, you know I could have taken my five or six year old nephew to the field and said what's wrong and he could have certainly pointed out the corn plants that weren't right it was easy to tell where the areas that had the issue were so yeah. I, I oh go ahead no, that's very good. That's a, I just think that it's it's good it's good to make sure that that um that we're digging a little bit deeper because I, I was your comment about the weather and the year that we've had and all the various symptoms that we've seen this year and how many of them were described to me initially as either just short or yellow corn. Um, uh -huh. Which, which are very good, you know, they're very good descriptive phrases, but they don't do a whole lot to describe what's going on. Sure. The plant. Um, and, and it's important to consider, you know, we, we've had a lot of potassium deficiency show up, especially in beans here recently. Yep. Um, but it's not a true deficiency in the soil. It's a drought-induced deficiency in the plant. Yes. Right. Yep. So, so taking that extra step to dig through and, and go through all those all those symptoms and make sure everything's leading you to the right point is important. Um, instead of just saying that yes, I have I have stunted yellow corn, it can be real easy to to draw the wrong conclusion if you just stop with that assessment. Right. right. And I I would tell you that 
initially driving up to the field, I saw these spots and it didn't make a lot of sense. And before I got out there, we've got some issues in our area, especially in no-till with um, voles uh, or even some of our cover crop folks. And so we'll have vole issues and you'll drive up to a field and there'll be a spot of a reduced sized crop, typically corn, but not always. And uh, the difference between the two in those spots typically is that you've got plants missing obviously with the voles all of these plants were there it is literally a perfect stand none of them are missing they're just small and you know discolored and showing these deficiency symptoms and so that was really the thing for me that started me down the ph range and then as i continued to investigate and look a little bit closer kind of walk through all the things we've talked about this morning and that's when i settled on this um, you know, I'm going to confirm it again this week with the soil sample. I think I know what the soil sample is going to say when I get it back, but we will always want to confirm uh, our assumptions and make sure that we are right in the recommendations or um, the fixes that we propose. Yeah. So, well, Brian, I think um, let's talk about something more positive, or at least I'm absolutely is positive. Um, you know, I. I'd be curious if it's made it that far north yet, but prior to the rain, wheat harvest was booming down here. Are you getting any reports on early wheat harvest or any yields up your way yet? Not not yet, Ben. Uh, I don't know of anybody. I've got a couple very progressive wheat growers that might have went late last week, but I have not seen any yield reports or talk to them directly yet, but it would be very slow. I know some reports uh, over the weekend that wheat was still a little bit greener than what folks would like uh, in the canopy down low. And so as of right now, I would say anything, say uh, much north of State Road 28 really probably hasn't been cut and probably we've got a little bit uh, of a ways to go. There may be a few fields out there, but uh, we certainly do not have the progress up here uh, that you guys have. Yeah, well, that 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 probably makes sense because the majority of that progress came, you know, from Monday to, to Thursday last week um, in the areas that missed the rain on, on Thursday morning. You know, and if you've if you listen to this program um, long term, you know that I personally had some concerns about this wheat crop um, and some of the stress that it was going through during grain fill. You know that with with some of the heat, not so much the drought. Wheat is quite resilient when it comes to drought stress, but I I, I was concerned more so about how the heat was going to impact that, and then whether they'd have the plant health to finish off. Um, it seems like from talking to our colleagues to the south that, you know, in, in Indiana, as you go down around the Ohio River, um, the Evansville area and work your way north, wheat yields are phenomenal down there. Um, they may be tapered off in, in a band just north of just north of Vincennes. But by the time you get back up where I'm at, um, what was being cut last week, the yields, yields test weight were outstanding. Um, almost all of it triple digit yields and much of it significantly higher than that. Now the, these, these growers have invested heavily in that crop too. I want to make that clear. They're not, they're not recreational wheat growers that are, that are growing, that are growing wheat that's well north of a hundred bushels, but 
it's still well past the break-even point. Um, you know, they're going to make a good amount of money on it. And in many cases, they were able to get their double crop beans in the ground ahead of this rain, um, get them to come up. So wheat, I think that I think the takeaway from that is that wheat before the rain greatly exceeded my expectations. Now, the negative part is that if you had wheat that was dry in this area, it went through that wetting cycle for yep. four or five days straight here. So you're going to see a reduction in test weight uh, whenever it's dry enough to get back into it. That, that's just yep. the way it is. The, it's, the starting test weights, though, were good enough that I don't think you're, I don't think we're going to have any any disasters as far as grain quality goes. But you will you will see a, a slight reduction in test weight here going forward when we get back into the field. So, mm. but all positive early on phenomenal wheat yields uh, despite some of the stress that we were seeing so hopefully that carries on north and you guys can share the share the same report <laughs> that that would be great ben i guess i'm curious your thoughts i i was right with you now i don't have anything yet to be able to base any observations on just because we don't have uh, much if any wheat cut yet but i was right with you in terms of the impact that the heat was going to have uh, on the wheat yields your thoughts on why maybe we're not seeing the reduction that you and I and several of our colleagues expected to see, at least in these early uh, wheat harvest numbers? Yeah, so as I've tried to formulate my thoughts around that, um, I, there, are, there are a couple of points. Um, the first would be nighttime temperatures for me. Even those days where we were creeping up towards 100, um, the night, the nighttime temperatures were still down in the low 70s, if not, if not into the 60s, and what that led to was a, a decreased, decreased duration of intense heat during the day. So it took longer, longer in the morning. You know, the mornings were still relatively cool, um, and you know, I think about that. I think about that overall stress on the plant, and what what kind of made it click to me was. Uh, you know, we've got a little above ground pool for the kids that has been up since uh, some point in May. And even those days where it was just scorching hot and the pool water just never seemed to warm up this year. Yeah. Right? So it stayed pretty cool for a long time. You know, the kids, the kids would still get in there, you know, they'd be blue with teeth chattering and still having a time. But when you think about the, the warming cycle um, and having that cool weather overnight, so I think that helped. Uh, the other thing too was these these heat waves, these days that that were kind of hotter than we usually see. We may string two or three or four of them together, but we never had a big block where we just had this continual beating of heat on it. Um, and then you know, honestly, the heat was early, late grain fill. It was relatively cool. I mean, June right. has been June has been relatively cool um, for us. May May was hot in some pockets, but right now those those are my working theories. It would be interesting to kind of start to analyze um, weather patterns around around uh, more localized wheat yields and see if there are any pockets where we had more heat or warmer nighttime temperatures and how how the yield um, lines up with expectations in those areas. Um, but I think, you know, it's, it, to me, it's like any other stress, the, the, the more, the more of it you string together for a longer, longer term, the greater impact it has. So, 
I think that's what, but still the yields that we're, that we are seeing, Brian, the, one would think that that weed has seen no stress whatsoever. I mean, they're just absolutely, absolutely yeah. phenomenal in places. So yep. um, that even, even though I can rationalize it in my mind and, and say that we didn't have any of that compounding stress that I love, um, it's still, they're still really, really good. Yeah. Yeah, well, I know some of the early reports that I've seen that have come across my desk from you guys and uh, from some of our counterparts in Southern Ohio, uh, <laughs> the numbers are significantly higher than I expected. I I didn't see expect to see any yields in the three-digit range this year, and I know you've yeah. experienced some, and uh, our colleague to the, I guess it'd be to your east and in Southern Ohio, he's seen a couple as well, and I've seen those reports as well. So, yeah. all right. Well, anything else, Ben, that we need to share with folks this week on the podcast? I mean, I know by the time this comes out on Wednesday, it'll have already passed. But um, as a red-blooded American working for an American company, I, I and, I and I'm quite proud of that fact. I hope everybody gets out and enjoys their Independence Day and enjoys enjoys their freedom um, and truly understands what that means to to be living and be an American. So happy independence day to everybody. Be careful with your fireworks. Um, and yeah, enjoy your freedom. Yep. I would, uh, if you have never taken the time to actually read the declaration of independence, uh, you really should do that sometime sit down, take just a couple minutes and read it. And remember that the men who signed that, who started our country, just by them putting their signature on their, on that document became enemies of the state. They, they were hunted, if you will, simply because they decided to stand up for what they believed was right and put their name on a document that said so. And so uh, just something to maybe think about this Independence Day. And uh, I'd encourage you to make sure that you refer to it as Independence Day rather than just the 4th of July. So with that, Ben, I guess we'll call it an episode. Uh, appreciate you being with me here this morning. If folks heard something uh, that we talked about and wanted to get your take on it or get a little bit more explanation, how can they follow along and maybe reach out to you? Yep, you can get a hold of me through Twitter at the Ben Jacob or on Facebook at Ben Jacob Agronomy. How about you, Brian? Yep, you can uh, find me on Instagram, B underscore K underscore Schrader. And so with that, we'll call it an episode. Uh, again, we hope that uh, you enjoyed your Independence Day uh, tomorrow, July the 4th. And uh, if uh, hope you were safe. And we look forward to talking with you next time on the Indiana Pioneer Agronomy Podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode from the Pioneer Agronomy Team. Be sure to visit pioneer.com backslash podcasts to access additional episodes and learn more about our extensive on-farm data and innovative digital tools that are fueling forward-thinking farming.